It's time for your Morning Jam weather, brought to you by WDBJ7. Well, happy Monday. It is a bitterly cold start this morning. Temperatures in the teens and low 20s. We're going to warm up into the upper 40s and low 50s this afternoon under plenty of sunshine. Not as cold stepping out the door Tuesday morning. We'll see overnight lows generally into the 20s area wide and even warmer by Tuesday afternoon. We'll see highs in the low to mid 50s under a mostly sunny sky, even warmer by Wednesday. Currently 21 degrees in Lynchburg, 24 in Bedford, 24 in Roanoke and Salem, 21 in Danville, 24 in Amherst, and 22 in Appomattox. Bundle up this morning. Well, over the weekend, we heard in the Hill City from LPD Chief Ryan Zudema and City Manager uh, Winter Bindo. They addressed the recent violent crime in the Hill City Um and this is what they had to say about, you know, what they're seeing. Uh, this was on ABC 13. Strategy to ensure the safety and security of the residents, visitors and business, businesses of this city. We have vetted this plan with the city council and have their full support. Like us, they agree that there is nothing more important than the security of our residents, our visitors and our neighbors. Chief Zudema is here to cover the details of the plan, and we will take questions following his remarks. Thank you, sir. So I want to start by saying our thoughts uh, continue to be with those directly impacted by the violent crime we've seen lately in our community. Violent crime has no place in our city. We see it. What we are seeing is an utter lack of regard for human life. This is not acceptable. We can never allow violence to become normalized in our community. We are committed to ensuring our residents and visitors have a safe community to call home. So what are we doing? Several things. I'm going to give you some general overview of what we're doing for obvious operational reasons. I'm not going to get into the specifics. But we'll be reallocating resources from throughout our department to our patrol function. This is going to allow us to be more proactive as a department and less reactive. As you all know, we continue to struggle with staffing. Uh, that has caused us to be a much more reactive agency than I would like. So to put these resources towards our patrol function will allow us to be much more proactive. Community will see more officers in uniform, which we think is a good thing. And we'll also make sure we're shifting the focus of other units throughout the department to ensure consistent efforts across the violent crime front. As you heard the city manager say, we will continue to partner with our local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies, which we have had long-standing relationships for many, many years on all those levels. We want to be very clear. If you are involved in criminal activity in our community, it is going to become very uncomfortable for you. We are actively seeking you out. We are going to prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law. The LPD alone, however, cannot solve these crimes. We need the community's help. You've heard me say that many times before, and I'm going to say it again. We need the community's help. These are community issues that we're dealing with that are only going to be resolved when everyone in our community takes ownership of the problem. We need cooperation from both witnesses and victims. Very honestly, we have many crimes where we know we have witnesses to those crimes that those individuals don't want to come forward. Well, uh, so not a whole lot of new information there, although it is good to see that they're reallocating things to get more officers on the street which we desperately need and, uh, you know, to see that they, they say they're going to prosecute to the fullest extent of the law. There are a couple of situations going on 
in uh, in the Lynchburg area, which I haven't seen that come into fruition, but um, that happened, you know, a couple of years ago. So maybe they're learning from some of those mistakes. I don't know. Um, but I hope that's true. I hope we are going to see more police on the street because you, you really don't see that many uh, in, in the Hill City anymore. And I know that they've had a successful campaign to get more officers in there because uh, we've talked to them about it here on the show. Yeah, we've been, uh, we promoted it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, but I, you know, I haven't seen really, like I'll, I walk Hokie at night. And you're downtown. And I live downtown and I haven't seen an officer and, um, patrol. Uh, and near. see, that's not good. I mean, I live on Commerce Street, and I don't know if that's like it, it doesn't seem like a you know a main crime area, but there's plenty of businesses there. There's they should plenty still of be living. They should still be cycling through. Yeah, there's plenty of though. apartments on my street. Like, so I I haven't seen it. So it's just yeah. Well, uh, we definitely need to see it. But they they made that uh, did that on Friday, and that was message was was trying to get that message out over the weekend so we thought we would share it this morning um i I hope we are going to see some changes in in lynchburg and roanoke and i mean we were just bill was just talking about they had the 40th shooting in roanoke Uh, i mean that's unbelievable i know so not good well, GOP underdog is taking his victory lap, uh, talking about how folks were fed up in New York with the one-party rule. Uh, he appeared on Sunday Night in America to discuss the impact of his election leading up to an upcoming vote on a new Speaker of the House. Uh, Mike Lawler pulled off a surprising win in his district, not only winning in a predominantly Democratic area, but defeating DCCC Chairman Representative Sean Patrick Maloney as well. This marked the first time Maloney has lost his seat since 2013. Here he is on Sunday Night in America. Joining us now is a Republican who flipped a blue seat in New York, Congressman-elect Mike Lawler. Congratulations, Congressman-elect, I think, I guess. I'm not sure anyone runs for office so they can then get kind of bogged down in leadership races, but the vote for speaker will be the first floor vote you take. So how do you think that'll play out? Listen, I am uh, fully supporting Kevin McCarthy. Uh, I think he's done a great job over the last four years leading the Republican conference. Uh, He was extremely supportive in my race to defeat Sean Patrick Maloney, the chair of the DCCC. Uh, And I'm a big believer, you know, you stick with the one who brought you the dance. And loyalty has got to matter for something in this business. And I think the Republican conference will unify behind Kevin, uh, as they should. And I think come January 3rd, uh, he will have the requisite number of votes uh, to lead the House and set forth the agenda uh, that many of us ran on. You know, the commitment to America focused on obviously making the United States uh, and all of our communities more affordable, uh, giving parents a say in their uh, children's education, uh, securing our borders, securing our freedoms. Uh, Those are the ideals and the values that got us elected, and I'm looking forward to getting to work come January uh, to implement that agenda. All right, Congressman-elect, you didn't just beat a Democrat, you beat the Democrat. You you beat the Democrat who was in charge of getting Democrats elected. So tell us how you flipped that seat. Tell us about your district, what your constituents are most interested in in the new year. 
Well, look, I focused exclusively on inflation, crime, education, uh, and those were the issues uh, that you know my uh, constituents cared about. Uh, this is a D plus three district on the Cook PVI rating. Joe Biden won it by 10 points. It's home to Bill and Hillary Clinton and George Soros. Uh, so this is by no means, uh, you know, a rock solid Republican district. Uh, but folks were very fed up in New York uh, with one party rule. And understandably so. So he focused on inflation, crime, education. Imagine that. And that got him a win. Hopefully, in January, they're going to be focusing on inflation, crime, and education. Because that's what we've got to focus on right now. It's what most people are, are concerned about. If you think about it, it's what the, the folks in Lynchburg, when they ran for city council, that's what they voted on, um, was inflation, crime, and, and education. A hundred percent. Stephanie Reed, that was her that was her big thing, and she won the majority of the votes. And she beat that drum hard, and she got that message across, and it resonated with people. If the Republicans are smart, they're going to pay attention to gentlemen like this, and that's what they're going to focus on come January, not just rest on their laurels and just have the same old, same old again. Because this is what everybody's concerned about. It doesn't matter if they're a Republican or they're a Democrat. That's what they care about. Inflation, crime, education. That's it. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. And that's not to like diminish any. Like I would say it. I'd say it no matter what. That's how my philosophy is. But it's already been talking about they're going to investigate the, the Biden crime. Quote unquote, the Biden contract. I know. And I think that's going to be kind of what they're going to do because they don't have the majority in the Senate. They're going to just try to use their. And they're going to make a show out of things. And, and I use know their, that needs to be dealt with. I, I do. I get it. Instead of getting things done and making actions that help American people, so they're just going to use their investigative part and try to be like, try to use this as a two year smear campaign for Democrats to try to set them up for 2022, which I guess makes sense. But. We need, you know, I'd rather have action now and collaboration now than focus on an election in two years because the issues are printing now and they're not going to change over the next two years. And what happens if you lose? Like, it's basically work for nothing. It's a show for nothing. Well, the ones that lose in that is we're the ones that lose when it comes to to that philosophy and it very well could end up being that way you may be right i don't know um but they they better get in there and start paying attention because we cannot survive this way i don't care what party you're for or against let's go to the phones good morning you're on the morning jam hey good morning jenna and i hope you had a good trip uh, it was fantastic <laughs> <laughs> oh it was so good um, yeah, now you got me thinking about going in a couple of weeks and looking at the lights down there too. Oh, so, it's so uh, pretty. But uh, shows are great. Anyway, yeah. uh, hey, I just wanted to say, Lynchburg, you guys are both kind of transplants, but I've been here fifty-five years. Lynchburg was a whole lot worse in the past. Downtown, you couldn't even go downtown in the eighties. I mean, I remember having my prom down there, and just it was crime riddled. Big time. I mean, Lynchburg is so much better now. Well, you know, I did the the seventies and eighties. I I came in I came in nineteen ninety is when I came to this area, and I worked oh, for, okay. for ten years in downtown revitalization. 
in uh, in Lynchburg. So from 2000 to 2010, that's all I did was I, I did a, parents, events uh, down there and and I walked around by 20 but by 2005 I was walking around downtown. I could walk around at two o'clock in the morning and felt completely safe. It was much less safe to be over near the mall than it was to be, you know, from fifth street to 12th from the riverfront to clay street. Um, even, even in that time. Um, but a lot of people say downtown and what they're talking about is midtown, you know? Yeah. And I've been, I've been in all those areas when I worked at the beer company and, all the people have treated me great when I was at the beer company. And I mean, I was down on 12th Street and mm-hmm. Greenfield Market and everything. I, I never had any problem. But um, a lot of these problems, you know, though, so, Alan, they're not from here. A lot of a lot of these drugs and stuff that are coming in, a lot of these problems that we see, they're not from Lynchburg. They're coming into Lynchburg, right, I agree. but they're not from Lynchburg. They don't even agree, have residences here. Compare Lynchburg to Danville, and it's like, and that's always been the case. Danville has uh, made no so comparison. many strides, though. Danville is doing great. They have turned around Danville. Well, they're going to bring in a gambling casino. You take out all the jobs, all the factory jobs that used to be in Danville. And I, I you know, I've been in Danville plenty of times as a kid and stuff, and it's all the factories there. But you take the factories out, and you're going to bring a gambling casino in that brings in organized crime. That's, Does it bring in organized exactly crime? Good. That's not true, Alan. That that that's I'm I'm just I telling you. Lots of money. It brings in lots of money and it brings in lots of jobs and it has brought hope into that area. And if any and it's bringing in economic resurgence there. I mean, that's the same thing that kept Rosie's out I of just, uh, uh, Amherst. And um if you don't have that kind I'm of anti, thing. I'm yeah. I'm just not a, not for gambling. I just don't think gambling is a good thing i didn't like the lottery when it came out in 1989 yeah i didn't either and i i, I haven't ever played it and the thing is it it taxes it poor and it takes the money away from it poor people because when i was working at the beer company i would see these people come in at 11 o'clock they would be lined up getting the lottery tickets and it's all poor people buying the lottery tickets and you're just swindling them out of their money and i i just don't like it i i think it's I don't even like all the sports gambling they legalized in the state. I mean, yeah, replacing textile mills, re- replacing factory jobs with casinos is just wrong. Well, That's I don't think that was a conscious me. thing. Um, for but I know what you're saying. We, I mean, we we do need our our manufacturing jobs. We do. We we need them, mm-hmm. but they're being replaced and sent overseas, and sent into other places. Well, Donald Trump all. Donald Trump gets back in, he'll fix all of that. You know I'm a Trumper. I love it. And I was doing a jig the other night when Elon Musk let him back on. But did you see the Latin word that Elon used? No. It was a proverb from the Bible. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> You'll have to look that up. All but, right. Well, but, thank you for calling in this morning. I okay, appreciate have a good, it. Good day, Janet. <laughs> all right, you too. But I will say this about our friends on the South Side. Um, if you really pay attention to the crime statistics, I mean, for the first time in a long time, uh, Danville was not listed in the most dangerous cities in Virginia. Uh, that police department has done an amazing job at not only turning that 
uh, community around, but working with the neighborhoods in that area to get people to cooperate when things do happen. The very things that uh, Officer or that Chief Zudema was talking about just a few minutes ago. I mean, they've done a remarkable job. And have they brought a casino in? Yes. Was did they get rid of manufacturing jobs so they could bring a casino in? No. They're just trying to to turn a new page for Danville and to create a, a new economic engine for Danville. And uh, being right there on the border of North Carolina, I think it's probably going to work for them. Am I a big gambler? No. I'm perfectly a- able to go in and, you know, just spend $5. I'm more likely to go to I'm Danville good. now with, because of the casino than I was before. Of course you are. And that's going to be a good thing for that for that area. It's going to increase the police and and the public services that they have. I mean, I'm not pro-gambling, but it's going to be good for Danville. We'll be back. You're listening to The Morning Jam, and we're glad you are. If you're Taylor Swift, life is pretty good for you right now. She uh, dominated the American Music Awards, uh, won every award she was nominated for, so it seems. Uh, And she's been in the news a lot lately. Taylor Swift fans were fuming over $40,000 front row seats. The ticket situation, it is insane. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the tickets are getting very expensive right now. Uh, despite knowing the demand for Taylor's anticipated world tour would be high, fans were hoping to be able to see their favorite musician. This might be the end of Ticketmaster. <laughs> they saw tickets sell for as much as $40,000 for front row seats, and it sparked a lot of anger. I, I will say, I would literally, I would have never been able to have seen anybody that I wanted to see back in the day. Well, with that, the crazy part was like, so you had a, they got rid of the regular sale. They had pre-sale and you had to be in the queue. And some of these waits for people were like seven, eight hours. I saw, I saw one girl who waited for like 13 hours or something to get, to get the tickets. I mean, come on. And you talk about bailing people out from student loans and you're going to pay 40 grand for a, well, my guess it wasn't a, a student who paid forty grand. Well, I will tell you, it's interesting that you say that because there are young people that are starting dedicated savings funds to buy tickets for Taylor Swift's tour. I yeah. See, here's the thing: like, if I could get my hands on one, I'm flipping it because I don't really need to go see Taylor Swift in in, in concert. I am, I am flipping that ticket, and I'm gonna be. Uh, I'll be living good. Uh, well, I know, like, I heard a story of someone. I was listening to a podcast, a sports podcast, and they talked about it. And the guy's bought three, and he's only going to use two, and he sold the third one for nine grand. <laughs> like, this one girl said she'd be willing to spend a thousand dollars on tickets to Swift's upcoming tour. Turns out she's not the only one who's been dil- diligently saving for potential concert tickets, and ticket prices, <laughs> according were supposed to range from $49 to $449, which has been the case pretty much for all of her tours. That's insane. But apparently that hasn't been the case. 
Lindsay Morris, who is a 27-year-old Swifty. Is that what they're called? Yep. Are you Her a Swifty? Her fans are called, I am not a Swifty. I do think she's a talented young woman when, when everybody was trashing her back in the day, uh, including my children. I mean, you can't argue the fact that she's probably the biggest pop star on the planet and the biggest pop star since, what, but it's, Michael Jackson? But it's not that she's the biggest pop star. It's the fact that she is such an amazing writer. And oh, she yeah. was an amazing writer when, when she, was, she was 14. Yeah. I mean, so she it's more than just being a, a pop star she is I know. just she's so good she's such an amazing writer um this girl out of georgia says she has a separate savings account just for swift tickets and she started it three years ago when she missed out on the reputation tour and so she, now she has a separate savings account she says it's kind of ridiculous that tickets are so expensive especially when you go to a concert and you can't even hear anything well because the idiots next to you are singing so loud or screaming so loud you can't even hear anything so so like also do you think about this like there's no local concert like if you get it here i think the closest is either like atlanta i'd have to look at it i'd be atlanta but some people are going to like denver like across the country so you have to think about paying for like the travel and that to go along with it well i mean that happened with the the adele tour when they had bought all these tickets to go to las vegas and then she canceled at the last minute i mean that was a hot mess too uh this one swifty who lives in fort worth says she's totally prepared to spend at least a thousand dollars for a ticket my friend said what's your budget and i said what's my credit limit y'all need to like intervention all right what's closer atlanta philly Pittsburgh or Nashville. That's like I'd go to Nashville or Atlanta before I go anywhere else. I mean, if there's an Eagles game the same weekend, I'd go to Philly. <laughs> okay, but there's not because that's he's doing. She's doing. But it at the, the general link. consensus seems to be I'll spend the money now and I'll worry about it later. Y'all talk to your control your young, get them over the whole Taylor Swift thing. That is craziness. We've got your WDBJ7 news coming up. Your chilly forecast on the way. You're listening to the Morning Jam. I'm Janet Rose. It's time for your Morning Jam weather, brought to you by WDBJ7. Well, happy Monday. It is a bitterly cold start this morning. Temperatures in the teens and low 20s. We're going to warm up into the upper 40s and low 50s this afternoon under plenty of sunshine. Not as cold stepping out the door Tuesday morning. We'll see overnight lows generally into the 20s area wide and even warmer by Tuesday afternoon. We'll see highs in the low to mid 50s under a mostly sunny sky, even warmer by Wednesday. Currently 24 degrees in Appomattox, 25 in Amherst, 23 in Roanoke and Salem, 22 in Danville, 24 in Bedford, 23 in Lynchburg. It's cold all over. You make the toast. We'll bring the jam on the Virginia Talk Radio Network. I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Blue Manchin. Said someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Well, this is the week that we usually slow down, take a little time to think about what we're thankful for. Chris Helmsworth 
says he's taking some time off. And he says he's doing that because he's discovered he is genetically predisposed to Alzheimer's disease. Fans may not see him on the screens for a while. He is going to take some time off from his career. He made the revelation to Vanity Fair explaining he wants to spend more time with his family after the discovery, which, uh, of course, Alzheimer's is a progressively uh, destructive brain disorder that attacks memory and other mental functions. He said that he found it out on his Disney Plus series, Limitless, which is all about the human body. In the fifth episode, he goes to visit a doctor who learns through testing and blood work that Chris is eight to ten times more likely to get the disease. Although it's not a given he'll develop Alzheimer's, it triggered something, he said, that makes him want to take some time off. And since we finished the show, I've been completing the things I had already contracted to do. Now when I finish this tour for Limitless, I'm going to go home, I'm going to take a good chunk of time off, and just simplify, be with my kids, be with my wife. He says that while acting does still excite him overall, he's just not so focused on the future anymore. He says, I'm going to recharge now, not be so focused on what's next and what else is coming and what haven't I done. I'm in a state of not passive, but a little more surrendering to the idea that things are as they are. I don't mean to in an apathetic way, but there's a stillness to my thinking about it now. He said, I can talk to you for hours about what I want to do, but it doesn't fill my head 24-7 like it used to do. It's just a sense of contentment with being very proud of what I've done, the experience I've had, and welcoming whatever comes next. So what do you think about that? First of all, if you had access to that kind of information, would you get it? Would you get that kind of testing? Is that something that you would want to know? You can call us, 866-916-3776, or 434-248-0704 is our text number. 434-248-0704. Um, so he had genetic testing done that said he was 8 to 10 times more likely to develop this. And it really changed the way he's thinking. Is this something, so my first question to you, is this something you would want to know, first of all? And then if you discovered what he discovered, what would you do? Would you keep going like you are or would you make some some changes and you know my father had alzheimer's and so it's definitely a and my gr my grandfather had dementia so was it ever called alzheimer's or no I, I would have to ask my dad yeah do you remember seeing i mean were you around when he was yeah yeah, yeah. so okay like, it was it what it never got like super super bad okay like, there well, were definitely moments where then. there are definitely moments where he was lost and 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 stuff like that how old was he he died when he was 92 okay so probably was more dementia then yeah i mean because there's some people who you know they get they get alzheimer's in their 50s i mean it's, yeah it's bad um so we're getting some text in saying that they would definitely make changes if they if they knew that i don't know how hard it is to get that genetic testing done and i don't know i'm a little bit is that something i want to know or would it just consume my thoughts I, I i don't know i am curious as to what you all think though 866-916-3776 is the number but good for him for slowing down and spending time with his 
with his wife and his family. I think that's a good thing. That's always a good thing to do. But it sounds like it, it definitely has made a change with his obsession uh, career-wise. So maybe he's learning to appreciate things that, you know, because at the end of the day, his family is not going to care about how many Thor movies he did. Very true. They're going to care about that time uh, that they had with him. So I, I always think that's a good thing. Well, a professor from Stanford who challenged lockdowns and scientific clerisy declares academic freedom is officially dead. He says his life became a living hell when he challenged Dr. Fauci. Now, somebody asked me over the weekend, where is Fauci? I mean, Fauci disappeared off the face of the earth, it would seem. I mean, we, we couldn't go a day without hearing from him. And now, all of a sudden... Is he new retired or is, when's his official retirement date? I, I don't know. I mean, I think it was the minute he said it because we don't ever see anything about him. Um, the Stanford University professor of medicine is who was speaking about this. Um, he challenged coronavirus lockdown orders. And uh, during the pandemic, here's a little bit from his interview that he did uh, on this situation. Stanford and Dr. Peter McCullough, internist, cardiologist, epidemiologist. Dr. B, we now know that masks increase carbon dioxide levels in children. Uh, I know you just written and published a piece about this. How is this still being pronounced upon by Fauci in this manner? How do you describe this? I mean, Dr. Fauci spent last summer campaigning, in effect, to close our schools down. He scared parents. Sorry. With talk about how dangerous COVID was to kids and how they were spreading the disease. Uh, as you said in your introduction, Laura, we know now that that's not true, that in fact kids are very inefficient spreaders of the disease. Uh, Sweden kept their schools open all year long with no... But we knew no, this, Dr. No B. We knew, that we knew this last spring, spring of 2020, we knew. We knew this. Yeah, we did. We <laughs> it's absolutely not like did. new and data. Yet he's, still, he's still arguing for schools uh, to, to, to restrict children in schools with masks. Masks are, they harm the development of children. And if, it, if they're not necessary to control the spread of the disease, why should we ask our children to pay that harm? Uh, it, 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 it boggles my mind. I wish, he would, I wish he would just stop doing that. I think he should resign. I, I mean, I'm going to say it, Dr. McCullough. Anthony Fauci should be forced to resign if he doesn't resign of his own volition. What was done to our children over the last year and a half was a crime against humanity, in my view. We'll never know the real damage done to children. I, I said it from May on, and I knew this is where it was going to go. And I, I'm very exercised by this. It's not a political statement. This was a factual, data-driven statement that a non-physician could even see more than a year ago. So he's been speaking out for quite a while uh, about this. Um, the professor said academic freedom is dead, that his life became a living hell when he spoke out against it. Says the basic premise is if you don't have protection and academic freedom in the hard cases when a faculty member has an idea that's unpopular among some of the other faculty, powerful faculty, or even the administration, if they don't protect it in that case, then you don't have academic freedom at all. He's a tenured professor of medicine at Stanford University and also an economist who serves as director of Stanford Center for Demography and Economics of Health and Aging. 
He came under fire during the pandemic after co-authoring the Great Barrington Declaration, which was an open letter signed by thousands of doctors and scientists denouncing lockdowns as being harmful. He was joined by Harvard Professor of Medicine, Dr. Martin Koldoff, and Oxford Professor uh, Dr. Gupta in co-authoring the document. The declaration was quickly denounced by other health leaders, uh, including National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease Director Fauci, who slammed the call for herd immunity in the document as, quote, nonsense and very dangerous. He spoke at the Academic Freedom Conference in Stanford's Graduate School of Business earlier this month and said that in the current era, we have a high clarity that declares from on high what is true and what is not true. When you take a position that is at odds with the scientific clarity, your life becomes a living hell. You face a deeply hostile work environment. He said that soon after the declaration gained widespread attention, he received death threats, hate mail, and questions on where he receives funding, which he noted most of, of his money comes from the NIH for most of his life. The purpose of the document was aimed at telling the public that there was not scientific consensus in the favor of lockdowns that in many epidemiologists, many doctors, many other people, prominent people, disagreed with the consensus. On campus... A chill on debate set in. He was disinvited from delivering a campus talk. An effort to organize a debate on COVID policies stalled. And the COVID, uh, the college fixed reported of his remarks at the conference. If Stanford truly were committed to academic freedom, they would have worked to make sure there were debates and discussions, seminars on where these ideas were discussed among the faculty, regardless of whether academics agreed or disagreed. That's what college is supposed to be about right there. So you have somebody like Tony Fauci who, you know, if, if you question him, you're not just questioning him, you're questioning science himself itself. That's what his, that was his thing. Um, just out of control, raw power, which I think most people would agree on there. I hope that by having people like this stand up and, and speak that maybe some of these colleges are going to wake up and realize that this is the absolute opposite of what they're supposed to be showcasing these students. Needless to say, Stanford's uh, media team nor the infectious disease uh, immediately responded to comments on this interview. (laughs) Shocker. Yeah. (laughs) Can't believe it. When we come back, we'll continue taking a look at the headlines of the day, both nationally and locally. Thanks so much for joining us. Our number is 866-916-3776. I'd love to hear from you this morning. 866-916-3776. The Morning Jam. But then I know it's growing strong. You make the toast. We'll bring the jam with Janet on the Virginia Talk Radio Network. 
Well, the University of Virginia held a public memorial service this weekend, uh, Saturday, actually, at the basketball stadium, John Paul Jones Arena, to honor the lives of those lost during the shooting. The families of the three victims sat in the front rows, uh, embracing each other. Uh, The governor was there uh, as well, and uh, just a very difficult time as they're seeking to to try to make their way forward they're not really sure even how to do that uh it has been a very difficult uh week plus for the whole student body as a whole uh the mother of running back mike hollins um who was hospitalized after the shooting uh, she went on cnn and said that her son was trying to warn others before being struck by gunfire Of course, he's from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We've talked about him some. Uh, One of two people wounded when a fellow student opened fire on the bus returning from Charlottesville from a class field trip. Uh, Mike Collins remains hospitalized. I actually have an update there. Okay. Her mom, his mom tweeted this morning that he's actually been discharged from the hospital. Oh, was he discharged? Yeah, she says um, in in a statement. He was walking and doing doing better. So... Brenda Holland says, Mike has been discharged. Hallelujah. I want to thank everyone for their prayers, text messages, and calls. This has truly been a test of faith, and I'm grateful. God has shown me he is faithful. Please continue praying for Mike as he recovers and settles into his new life. Please continue praying for Chandler, Davis, Perry, families. They need us. God is amazing. So she tweeted that at 7.06 this morning. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so Mike is is out. So and that's literally the latest breaking Yes. there. So. Um, she said that her son did tell her, uh, you know, the, the whole details about what happened, said he was trying to yell at his classmates to, to flee when he noticed nobody was exiting. He went on the bus to yell for them to leave. Um, that's when he met face to face with the shooter. She said she was just thankful that he was able to tell his story. He does have a long road of recovery ahead of him. She said, um, she said the, the one thing that she tries to focus on is he does have feelings, uh, so hurting is good. So I guess as as far as I mean, you could be paralyzed or anything. With yeah, I like think that. of um, you know Brian Robinson from the you know Washington Commanders. He was shot in the leg, right? Different, completely different circumstances in an armed robbery, and the fact that he you know he's now playing, which is incredible. Right. So I hope Mike Collins can get back on the field. And well, and, she says he's going to struggle because Perry was his was his best friend. Yeah. Oh, and he said the first thing he the first thing he said as soon as they took him off the ventilator was where's Deshaun? That was the first question out of his mouth. Breaks your heart. It it is, and she said no one said anything. My daughter just shook her head, and he just broke down, and and talked about how hopeless she felt. You know, helpless. She just, I mean, you can't you can't fix that. He he's gonna have to. Not only physically, but mentally and emotionally, he's got to work work through got a that. Got whole team. So, uh, but how wonderful that he's able to go home. I mean, that's yeah. just miraculous that he's able to do that. So, um, at least a little a little ray of sunshine coming through there. That's a that's a good thing. Looks like uh, there is an effort to stop Richmond's plan for the last remaining statue there. Four indirect descendants of General A.P. Hill have asked Richmond courts to overturn a judge's decision uh, to remove and donate the last statue. While other Confederate monuments in Richmond have been removed, 
the fate of A.P. Hill has been complicated due to the general's remains being buried underneath the statue. Well, that is a little different, isn't it? I didn't it? know that. Well, I didn't know that and either. And I have passed that statue mole a lot, like hundreds of times. Well, it's more than just a statue, my friend. Okay. Uh, I, know, I've been at his fort, too. It's a roundabout at a gravesite, so that's interesting. It's um, a weird roundabout, too. Like, they did not design that right. Yeah, I'm looking at the photo. It looks a little confusing. Uh, four collateral descendants of Hill, people with a common ancestor but do not descend directly, challenge Richmond's effort in court. In October, the uh, judge ruled that the city has the authority over the AP Hill statue. The decision cleared way for Richmond's plan to donate it uh, to the Black History Museum and Cultural Center. Why would it be donated there? That's that seems odd to me. I don't know. The descendants filed an objection that seeks to dismiss the city's petition to remove the remains and give them ownership of the remains in the statue. The filing adds Richmond should have to pay for relocating the statue and over fourteen thousand dollars in attorney fees. Hmm. Well, I think it certainly makes it more interesting because his remains are there. So that's definitely a. a Kind of a different situation, for sure. Yeah. I I, just, I didn't know that. Didn't know that was going on there. So we'll keep an eye on that and see. Um, the In court, the descendant's attorney argued that the statue was a public cemetery and a grave marker, not a war memorial, giving them the authority to decide where it should be moved and not the city. They might actually, that might actually pay off taking that route. We will see. We shall, yes. <laughs> Time will tell, won't it? Uh, Governor Yunkin has been getting some heat because he is trying to change the way history is being taught in Virginia. He wants all of history to be taught, and he wants it to be taught accurately. And uh, he said that uh, racism and slavery should be taught in Virginia schools. He's promised his administration will uh, would correct the mistakes and omissions that outrage parents in the in the past. Uh, he wants topics about Native Americans, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. taught earlier than sixth grade. He wants those topics, along with other important leaders of color, to be taught at elementary level. The governor's proposal came after the State Board of Education declined to accept a revised version that the Yunkin administration promoted. In the governor's own words, he said, quote, My fundamental directive to the teams has been to teach all of our history, the good and the bad, all of it, areas that are sometimes harder to discuss, slavery, civil war, civil rights movement, are fully, fully represented in that curriculum, which is all parents want. That's all they want. It makes you wonder, did they even go through it or did they just automatically dismiss it and try to stir stuff up? Probably be. Current governor's education department developed the standards in just a few months uh, they say compared to the two years under his Democratic predecessor. Well, it takes time to completely rewrite history. You can't just do that willy-nilly. Yeah. I should say. Uh, the African American History Education Commission established under former Governor Ralph Northam. What a joke, considering his background. Put together proposals that dealt with historical figures of various racial backgrounds, along with themes that covered topics like colonialism, racism, cultural expression, among others. And that's when it all started, Your Honor. 
right there. I hope we can get this, you know, controlled. Well, we just want our kids to know real history. That's all. And it's not pretty. There's nothing pretty about history. History is funky and hard and bloody and messy. Anybody who's really studied history knows that. Sounds like Governor Yunkin knows it as well. Uh, Bill Trefero is on the way at the top of the hour from the Roanoke News Desk. Give us a call this morning. We'd love to hear from you. 866-916-3776. What you got on your mind? We'll talk about it here on the Morning Jam. Listening to the Virginia Talk Radio Network, 100.9 WIQO Forest and 106.3 WMNA FM Greta Danville.